Hi everyone. Today on The Grind, I'm joined by James Novak, CEO of Pick Software. I originally met James through an organization we were both part of uh, called PeerScale. Uh, PeerScale is now over uh, 100 CEOs in the Toronto area that provide for a great exchange of ideas on a monthly basis. Uh, the nice thing about that meeting format is basically what's said in the room stays in the room, so it really allows CEOs to talk about the different challenges in driving their business. Um, back to James now. James Novak is a CEO and a member of the board of directors uh, at Fix, which is one of the fastest growing technology companies, having raised over $75 million in capital as well in the last three years. Fix creates easy-to-use, intelligent maintenance management software that empowers asset-intensive companies to modernize their operations. Its innovative multi-tenant cloud-based maintenance software mobilizes the maintenance workforce with an unparalleled mobile experience and seamlessly interfaces with enterprise software to connect organizations, revolutionizing how thousands of companies worldwide schedule, organize, and track maintenance. Prior to becoming the CEO at Fix, James served as the company's president and chief operating officer. Previous to Fix, James was vice president, channel accounts at BlackBerry, originally known way back as Research in Motion. And over his 12 years at BlackBerry, James led the company's in-market international expansion in more than 20 countries in Latin America, Europe, and the Gulf region. In addition, James led the strategic partner relationship with the top US wireless carriers forging BlackBerry's consumer and enterprise business to one of the leading smartphone providers globally. James holds an honors BA of Business Administration from Wilfrid Laurier University, and James was previously an advisory board member of the Wilfrid Laurier University Launchpad Incubator, and is currently an active member of both PeerScale, Ontario's premier technology leadership group, and YPO, Young President's Organization. I might also add that even while sustaining this growth and carrying out these raises, James and the team at Fix have driven the Glassdoor rating of 4.7, which itself is no small feat. James, thanks for being with me on the Grind podcast today. Any other anecdotes from your past you'd like to add from an intro perspective before we move on? Nope. Thank you. Kind introduction, David. Appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a very kind and robust introduction. So <laughs> I think everyone has a good sense of who I am now. Well, fantastic. Then we'll kind of get into some, uh, some interesting questions before we get to the heart of the matter on the grind, which is one key lesson learned. Um, any particular, I don't know if you're big into watching uh, any binge uh, type of shows right now or whether you have the time, but do you? Um, unfortunately, don't have a lot of time. I'm like one season behind on Game of Thrones, so I've been actively staying off uh, as much Game of Thrones teaser websites as possible to uh, not get a spoiler alert. So, uh, big fan of Game of Thrones, like a lot of people are, but I'm one season behind, so I got to play catch up right now. Well, there there won't be any spoiler alerts on this, so I think we're good there, which is fantastic. Uh, it is hard to find the time, uh, uh, really, to kind of get into that media, and there's just so many shows out across so many different. Uh, providers now. It's unbelievable. What's the top three apps more or less you use today when you think of your mobile device? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this question ahead of time. Um, you know, I'm in my email a ton in my phone, so I guess that's by default number one. Uh, number two, on a personal note, I'm, uh, I'm a big Sonos fan. So uh, when I'm at home, we're playing music all the time, morning uh, or evening, uh, my wife and I. And um, 
The other thing that I'm in uh, a lot is any of the food blogs. So um, I've got a lot of the food apps. I try to get out uh, on weekends, see as many nice restaurants as possible. So the food blogs is probably the third, the third biggest app that I'm in today. Very good. Is there any particular food that's really caught your eye that uh, you've uh, enjoyed the most in the last month or two? Uh, just had my first wedding anniversary uh, this past weekend, and we went out. Thank you. We went out for an incredible sushi restaurant at a place called uh, Kaji Sushi here in the West End of Toronto, it was Amakose style, it was phenomenal. And uh, yeah, found it from one of the apps. Oh, very good. Um, when, we, uh, when we think about what we're going to be doing uh, moving forward, one of the questions that really struck me is, you weren't one of the original founders of Fix, which I kind of get, I've walked into those situations as well. So since you weren't one of the original founders, what kind of attracted you to Fix? How did you end up here? Yeah, so I think I'll probably tell the story about how I ended up, the fi- uh, ended up here at Fix uh, from BlackBerry. So I spent a large portion of my career at BlackBerry. Prior to that, I was at Microsoft for a short stint. And uh, as things were kind of winding down at BlackBerry, um, which I think a lot of your listeners would probably understand and, and saw through the media, um, I was looking to join a quote-unquote startup. And quite frankly, I didn't know what that meant um, until I started looking. And what I found was there was really kind of three different types of companies out there that um, needed a kind of a wireless or a technology executives. There were large private organizations that were um, looking for a head of channel, a head of business development, a head of sales. And um, I felt like that would have been more of the same journey that I'd just been on with BlackBerry over the last 12 years. And then I found early stage startup companies and those early stage companies um, were really still struggling with product market fit questions. And um, all of these founders all had kind of the same idea was, if we just had an amazing VP of sales, then we'd all be billionaires. <laughs> and what I realized is that that wasn't just necessarily true. First of all, I wasn't that good at uh, being head of sales, but also that there was just a lot of heavy lifting to go through and a lot of mud to kind of track mm-hmm. um, as an early stage company before they could kind of get to scale. And then I found the team here at Fix, the founders here at Fix, um, and the company was originally called Maintenance Assistant. And um, I met the founders um, and over coffee and we talked about um, the type of companies we wanted to build, the place of technology in Canada's ecosystem, and ultimately kind of what our uh, business and personal values were. And we really aligned on those areas. And so that was when I first got attracted to the company was just kind of the alignment of values with, with the founders. and then. And then I had to wrap my head around maintenance software. So a lot of our customers are asset intensive industries, mm-hmm. companies like manufacturing, food and beverage, oil and gas, energy markets that I quite frankly didn't have a lot of background knowledge in. And they weren't necessarily the most sexy of industries. No, you probably could have picked a few others that would have been far more. I think you just left one, in fact, at that point. In, in particular, coming from <laughs> consumer electronics and the wireless world. And so it was hard for me to wrap my head around kind of moving to a what I would consider a less sexy industry. Or, but what I realized, and um, this is what got me super jazzed about the opportunity here and ultimately what we've been trying to build, is that we realized that this market is about a $6 billion a year software market, and it's completely untouched by the cloud disruption that has happened in every other major software category mm-hmm. over the last 15 years. Starting with salesforce.com and CRM, ERP software, HR software, accounting software, you name it, every software category has gone through this transition from on-prem, legacy, expensive software to cloud-based, consumerized, SaaS, mobile-friendly business models. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, we basically th saw this market as the next evolution or the last big bastion of enterprise software that has yet to go through the same transition. And so that became kind of our deliberate business exercise. What we're taking fixed through is the same transition that every other software category has gone through over the last 15 years. And when I got excited about that and building a platform to disrupt this market the same way that Salesforce.com disrupted CRM, that's when I started getting really excited about fix and the, and the opportunity to kind of build that here. Fortunately, now we're five years in, we're about 150 employees. Uh, we've raised $75 million, as you've mentioned, um, and we're effectively doubling uh, revenue every 12 months. So um, it's been a great journey and we got a great market, even though it's a relatively unsexy market thus far. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll take unsexy, but high growth anytime. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's an incredible story. And it just speaks to looking for and finding opportunity. And I think from uh, that standpoint, that's, that's very, very interesting. What were the values out of curiosity that you really aligned on? What's those couple of core values that you mentioned in the beginning as well? Yeah, this is, um, you know, you talk kind of ephemerally about it. You talk, you talk about um, kind of holistically what, what you want to build as an organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, companies that have an opportunity to be significant and important um, employers in a region have a responsibility. They have a responsibility to not only their shareholders and making a lot of money, but they also have a responsibility to their employees and the rest of their stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And um, in particular, um, we felt that there weren't enough companies in Canada that were um, really going for it. What you guys are saying, basically, if I get that correct, then James, from your perspective is, you don't look at yourself as just being a big Canadian company. You look at being just a big company and, and really taking on a global market. So you're mm -hmm. not looking at it in the very limited Canadian sense. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to criticize anybody that sells their company. I mean, entrepreneurs, you know, pour their blood, sweat and tears in their organizations mm -hmm. and they need to provide liquidity and exits for their shareholders. And, and sometimes the best option is to sell the organization. And so I wouldn't criticize anybody for it. I just think that there's an opportunity with the talent that Canada has to bring mm -hmm. that globally. And, um, and yeah, 80% of our revenue today is um, outside of Canada. So we are a global organization. We consider ourselves a global player. Mm -hmm. We just happen to be based in Toronto. No, and I think it's, it's a great point. And the one that I hear so often is that so many of the companies in the Valley think of themselves in terms of billion dollar companies. And in Canada, we think of ourselves in the past as a well, 50 or $100 million company. And what you're really saying, I think at the end is you want to dream big and you want to think we're a multi-billion dollar company. There's a huge opportunity in front of us. And I think that's definitely where we want to press uh, Canadian entrepreneurs today, I think, towards that goal. Is that yeah, correct? I, I couldn't agree more. I think... Um, you know, unapologetically, I want to be a billion dollar company without question. And I think a lot of companies should strive to do that. Um, now, I don't know what the future holds for um, Fix or myself. Um, but what I can tell you is when you aim for as high as possible, mm -hmm. um, then you don't shut any doors um, along the journey. And um, those doors might be great off ramps as market dynamics change, your competitive dynamics change, your company mm -hmm. dynamics change. I mean, all of those things are very fluid. And so when you aim for the top, um, you certainly don't close any doors along the journey, which I found is, is kind of a big key learning for us. 
No, I think that actually makes a lot of sense from my standpoint. Given that backdrop of being this major company, one of the key focuses for the grind is, is really on the grind of building a proper and strong business, which obviously the team under your leadership of FIX is doing. So what was that one key idea or lesson learned from your past or even present that you could give our listeners based on your experience that has really uh, been important to you when you think of building this scale at fixed software? Mm -hmm. So there's a couple different ways that we can address this question. And um, you know, we've learned a lot um, in the past five years growing as quickly as we have. We learned about um, raising money and the importance of finding key partners in uh, raising money. Um, not always the best thing for all companies, but um, the ability to grow quickly, certainly a well-capitalized company. So we learned a lot about that. We learned about moving up market and going from small business customers to enterprise customers and what that took across the entirety of the business. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing that we've learned is how to take kind of traditionally unsexy software and turn it into something that um, motivates people, um, inspires um, employees, takes advantage of all that great talent that we have here locally, um, and intersects what I think are the customers. And what I'm really talking about is creating a purpose kind of bigger than ourselves. And so mm -hmm. when you think of maintenance, you think of um, you know people, guys with the wrench going out there, cranking on a big bolt in like a farmer's field and fixing a tractor. And a lot of our customers do that kind of stuff. They're working in factories um, or out in the field. Mm -hmm. and. Um, typically, that would be kind of not a, a place where you could generate a lot of talent or get a lot of interest in a high technology company. And what we did is we kind of looked at maintenance as a whole and we thought about the contribution that it had to society and our world. And, and ultimately, what we believe is that through proper maintenance, you can achieve sustainability outcomes in, um, in our planet. Mm -hmm. And things like carbon emissions reduction or waste reduction or health and safety outcomes, these are all reasons why customers purchase and implement our software. And so when we started really understanding what this meant, um, we needed to give it a name and we called it our higher purpose. And our higher purpose isn't the purpose of the company. Our purpose of our company is to develop great software, maintenance software, improve operations. But we wanted something that we could aspire to. Mm -hmm. And that aspiration was to create a sustainable world. And then when we started rallying our organization around creating a sustainable world, that became the huge lesson for us. And um, I would implore every company out there to create their own higher purpose. In a market like Toronto, where um, it's an incredibly um, competitive talent um, market, mm -hmm. um, where people are churning through organizations, it's hard to hire great developers and technical folks, salespeople are leaving for higher paid jobs all the time. Um, what we found is that the most talented individuals aren't just looking for pay and career opportunity, they're also looking for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And we took something that was seemingly not purposeful yep. in maintenance software and turned it into something that we've rallied an entire organization around. And we've made this very real. So we've become a B Corp corporation, which is a benefit corporation, which basically means that we audit ourselves yearly through a third party on our social impact in the organization. Um, we publicly release all of our uh, CSR metrics every year. Um, we survey our um, customers and incidentally about 10 to about 15% think that our values and our social mission uh, was the reason why they bought our software. So I think we're Very intersecting. Yeah. yeah, I think we're intersecting the market. 
And, and all of this is to say, I think there's a new blueprint in how to build a technology company, one with these values and your social mission and your purpose built into the DNA of the organization, not something you just slap onto the side at the end. And um, that's been the key learning um, for us. And you have to make that real in an organization. It can't be just something you put on a slide or paint on a wall. Um, it needs to be real. You need to measure yourself. You need to make it real in your organization. We donate 1% of all revenue to um, our corporate social responsibility programs. Mm -hmm. We have mandatory volunteer days. We sponsor all sorts of, all sorts of programs um, for our employees and our community and our stakeholders as a whole. And that's how we make it real. And that, that gets audited and published um, every year. So that's a big part of who we are. And quite frankly, as I started this journey, kind of coming from BlackBerry and technology and moved to becoming a CEO and uh, responsible and charged with kind of growing and raising money and building something that um, had a legacy. It was this idea of a higher purpose, which became mm -hmm. my biggest learning and the one that I would share with as many CEOs and business leaders that I could find. No, I think uh, in the day and age when we're seeing so much in the press about um, uh, anti-competition laws and some of the things that are happening uh, with technology companies in general, even the NASDAQ in the last few days, one of the reasons it really took uh, a pretty big dump was because of some of the concerns the government has around uh, Alphabet, even Apple and Facebook and other companies where uh, they're just coming under this big beam of light, this laser beam that's looking at practices in the business, whether they're predatory, but also how they're serving, I think, the greater good. So mm -hmm. um, I think having that purpose really helps uh, crystallize or galvanize the way every employee when they sit down and they think about what they're doing today are they doing the right things uh, I think it has a big impact on how they view the company they work with yep. and whether they're doing the right things is that then how you see this world? yeah I think there's an analogy that we use all the time I think there's a new aspirational culture maybe it's not an analogy it's a story it's a new aspirational culture that we believe um, is the aspirational culture for all technology companies um, as far back as I can remember the technology aspiration culture started with IBM. Everyone wanted to be like IBM. Mm -hmm. It was very suit and tie kind of oriented, very serious. And then came, along came Microsoft and, and all of the technology companies that were created around that time all tried to be like Microsoft. And for lack of a better term, it was kind of like nerd culture, right? As Bill Gates personified. Mm -hmm. And then along came Google and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that they brought kind of like that university college experience, like the frat experience yeah. to the working world. You had ping pong tables and beer kegs and that came with its own issues and companies like Uber kind of spawned out of that aspiration. That became culture. the bro culture and, you got and it. amplified in a terrible way in many ways. Yeah. And so that was kind of the latest technology culture that people were aspiring to. And now I think there's a new technology company aspiration, one with your values built into your DNA that's very real, not something that you can just fake. Mm -hmm. um, and you're starting to see that. Salesforce.com, I think, is a really good example of mm -hmm. a company through Mark Benioff and his sheer gravity is kind of built, uh, built that company with those values in mind. And, and I think that we're just on the front foot of this. I think that lots of companies are going to go down this path and I think lots of customers and purchase behaviors are going to start going down this path, in particular as millennials move up the food chain in organizations, become more decision makers, have more share of wallet, mm -hmm. um, and have more impact on the economy as a whole, um, I think you're going to start seeing that this is a, is a massive, massive shift, and for the, for the right reasons, and I think it'll be very positive.
Mm -hmm. And we even see that, you know, as much as I called out Alphabet before, I mean, a lot of Googlers there have put their hands up uh, around projects that Google wanted to do with the government, mm -hmm. DARPA and things like that, and said, no, we don't believe in that from an AI point of view. So, yeah, hopefully I think we see that shift that brings us back more to center than the swing that we've taken out to one side. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks so much for that insight. I guess just in wrapping up a couple of quick questions. Uh, any favorite piece of advice you were given during your career by someone that's really had a, a lasting imprint on you? Mm -hmm. I would say I, I had two pieces of advice. One was uh, around career development. I guess they're both around career development. The first was from the former chief operating officer at BlackBerry. His name was Don Morrison. And uh, early in my career, I was asking Don about um, types of moves I should make in the career. I'd been in a job for a couple of years. I was ready to try something new. And the advice that he gave me was, um, do something until you're comfortable and then find something that makes you uncomfortable again. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a favorite piece of the advice that I've gotten. Mm -hmm. When you've got downtime, which I know isn't very often, uh, what do you uh, tend to spend your time doing? Is it travel? Is it uh, uh, things like that? Yeah, I try to stay as active as possible. So in the summer, you'll find me at the lake house, uh, okay. on the boat, in the water, spending time with my family and my dog. Uh, as much as possible and in the winter yeah um, I try to get out of Canadian winters as much as possible <laughs> so uh, you'll find me you'll find me traveling okay very good uh, favorite destination for a vacation if you were, had to go today and you had to pick up everything and uh, go there yeah I think I mentioned that it was just my one-year anniversary um, just recently and uh, we did our honeymoon in Tahiti in Bora okay. Bora and that was so phenomenal that we got to go back but I told my wife that it'll probably be our 20-year anniversary before we end up there back. <laughs> yeah that's a okay. lot longer flight. Yeah. Well James thanks so much for taking the time on the grind today and I uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Absolutely it's great my pleasure. All right take care. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time.